Welcome to another edition of the First Draft Podcast, available every Tuesday, 4 p.m. Eastern Time. And of course, you can check us out on the ESPN YouTube page if you want to watch the video as well. We've got a huge podcast coming up today as we have lots more free, uh, free agent action to break down. Plus, Mel Kuyper Jr. has done his third mock draft of the year. So hello, we'll start right there. Hello to you, Mel Kuyper Jr. and Todd McShay. Mel, third mock. How does it feel? Feels good to move on to 4.0 soon. Um, <laughs> 3.0 in the rearview mirror. Uh, Ever would do a mock draft I, every day if he could. Uh, every day. <laughs> He's always mocking my mock. You notice that? But um, <laughs> it's, been, it's been a fun process. But I think the trades, that's the whole thing, the intrigue of the, of the trades, which I'm coming around to field because it allows you to put players where you think they will go, not where need dictates. You know what I mean? Because you'll say, I can't drop this guy here because none of these teams need him. But in order for it to make sense, I have to. Well, now you don't have to worry about that. You can make a trade to get a guy off the board for a team that really could ultimately move up to get that player. I did it with Penn A. Sewell uh, going to the Minnesota Vikings at pick number nine. Uh, I moved had, I had uh, Carolina move up to get Justin Fields, cut it off at that. Everything after that kind of fell into place. Uh, you know, Todd will have a couple guys that left out. You can't put everybody in your mock draft that you want to. I, ra- I basically had 45 players for 32 spots is what it boiled down to. Yeah, so I think that's always one of the perils of calling a player a first-round pick, like when you're assigning him a grades of first-rounder, because I think in most years you'll either have fewer or more than 32 players that fit that bill. Todd, big week for you, not just evaluating Mel's mock and keeping up with all the pro days, including Alabama's today, but of course your birthday week as well. Happy birthday, our friend. Thank you. 30 years young. Don't look a day over 29 as far as I'm concerned. Sure, we'll buy that. How do you celebrate a birthday in the middle of draft season? I celebrated it by doing seven players. You know, I told you I've got to get seven done each day in order to to get it done by April 5th. I got seven done, and then my my kids brought home some some cupcakes. We had uh, had some pretty good steaks last night. There you go. That's a win right there, and uh, certainly looking forward to a great year for you ahead, Todd. We're going to get into some of these free agent moves and just sort of ping pong with these uh, big transactions and whether they mean anything for your mock draft. So we'll start, Mel, with the Giants, who continue to spend big this offseason. The latest move was a four-year, $72 million contract for wide receiver Kenny Galladay. I don't think that wide receiver – actually, you know what? There were those that thought that the Giants could be in play for a Jalen Waddell at pick 11 if he fell there. Has this eliminated wide receiver from the Giants' needs now, Mel? Well, I think from the 11th pick, where now they – and I think they had the feel that 11, you're not getting Jalen Waddle, Devontae mm, Chase, or Kyle Pitts. You're not getting any of those guys at pick number 11. And now I think the attention turns to a complimentary pass rusher to help out Leonard Williams. And that could be Quiddy Pay from Michigan at pick number 11. Uh, the other pass rushers bring with them some question marks. We could argue Jalen Phillips is the best pure pass rusher, but he's got the durability concern. Uh, you know, Gregory Rousseau only had one year of product, uh, productivity sack-wise at Miami. Quiddy Pay is a talented kid, and as I said, from a, an outside perspective, knowing what the Giants have on defense, that's exactly what they need, especially after adding a Dory Jackson at cornerback. You don't have to look at a Patrick Sertan or a Caleb Farley now with the, the back procedure uh, from Virginia Tech or a J.C. Horn. So I thought Quiddy Pay – some people may say it's a reach, Todd Field. I really, at the end of the day, don't think so. I think 11 for a pass rusher with that kind of skill set and that kind of attitude and that kind of approach uh, wouldn't be a, a reach at that point. Yeah, I like his tape. I, I'm, you know, we've talked a lot about Greg Rousseau and coming out of Miami, who had the opt-out year, but 15 and a half sacks 
going back to 2019. Talked a lot about Jalen Phillips and what he did this past year. And he's a really good player as well coming out, of, coming out of Miami. And I thought he had a great 2020 season and really helped his stock. But when I put on the tape, Quiddy Pay is different. He has suddenness and twitchiness that some of these other guys don't have. And I know his, his, his stats weren't exceptional, but he is constantly disrupting. And the other thing I love about him, you got to have this as a defensive end or a pass rusher, the motor. He flies around the field. He plays sideline to sideline. He will chase you down from behind. And he's got explosive workout numbers as well. So I don't think it's that big of a reach. I think at some point, you know, after 10, we're going to see the, the defensive end, the edge rushers start to come off the board. So I, that didn't shock me. But the other thing I'll say, though, going back to just the Giants in, in general, Daniel Jones no longer has excuses. You've mm. got one of the best running backs in, all, in the entire NFL. And you, you bring in Galladay, who's a big physical receiver. You've got Ingram at tight end. You've got Slayton, Shepard, uh, Rudolph as well, at tight end of the, uh, that they brought in. I mean, this, there's a lot of weapons now around that quarterback position. Yeah, and they well, have to get them. Go ahead, man. If they, if they, I mean, Ingram's got to eliminate the drops. He cost them the yes. game with a drop. He had other drops during the year that were significantly uh, important to the outcome of that football game and what was going on in that game. they got to keep Saquon healthy. The offensive line's got to get better, which means Andrew Thomas has to improve here. We'll see what happens with Nate Solder coming off after uh, opting out this year uh, with COVID. Uh, and then, obviously, uh, you have Daniel Jones in year three doing what Josh Allen did with the Buffalo Bills now that he has these weapons like Kenny Galladay, who also has to stay healthy. So I think we'll expect the same improvement that we saw with Josh Allen from year two to three that we'll maybe see because we saw improvement with Daniel Jones from year one to two. He cut down on the fumbles, the turnovers. Now he needs it. Until he got hurt, he was playing really well late in the year. So now if he takes that next step, he's got the pressure to become what Josh Allen was in Buffalo. Yeah, a lot of the pieces are certainly in place for some success. Todd, Juju Smith-Schuster signed a one-year deal with the Steelers worth $8 million. bucks. It suggests to me that at least the NFL doesn't view him as a true number one wide out it's only a one-year deal, so we could walk from Pittsburgh beyond this year. But this feels like a team that, just based off of the depth they already have, like wide receivers got to be pretty low on the pecking order of things to check off for GM Kevin Colbert this offseason, right? Yeah, I agree. And I think Juju is still a really good player. And he's probably, yes, best suited to be that number two, a complimentary guy. You know, when Antonio Brown was on the opposite side, that's when he had the monster year. So, uh, but – you also, if you're, if you're Colbert, the GM, you, you've got to look at this and say, Ben's not going to be around very long. Ben Roethlisberger's got maybe one, two more years left. So we got to make sure we surround him with enough talent. And that's why I think it was critical. Juju took less money, actually, from the reports at least, to go back to Pittsburgh than he would have gotten maybe from Baltimore had he you know, switched inside that division. So I think it's I think he's one of the more underrated receivers, and he's so good in terms of catching the ball, contested situations, and the ability to kind of create with not necessarily explosive speed. He was a 4-5-4 guy coming out of college, out of USC, but with his ability to kind of weave through defenders and create after the catch, I, I think he's a really good player, and I, I think there was urgency to get him back, even though he was testing the market, because they wanted to put Ben in the best position to make another run at it. And also not allow him to go to Baltimore. That would have been like a double win. Yeah. 
you're losing exactly. a key element, Todd, and then you're giving them to your rival in the division. And Cleveland's obviously an improved team. Cincinnati's going to go. Cleveland's a playoff team. Cincinnati's going to be an improved team if they keep Burrow healthy. And Baltimore's never going away. So it's, and Pittsburgh's hoping to keep up. So if, if he would have signed with the Ravens, that would have really helped their offense, helped Lamar Jackson and hurt them. And I think certainly now it's the attention for the Steelers is the offensive line. I have them taking Tevin Jenkins from Oklahoma State. Uh, they need help at that spot. Uh, you know, the, the really the, even a center. You talked about adding Finney the way they did. They could, still could look somebody could at Landon Dickerson like them coming out of Alabama. But I think the offensive line now becomes the concern and something they're going to have to address, whether it's the interior at center or whether it's uh, either the right or left tackle spot. Yeah, as of this recording, the team has not re-signed Alejandro Villanueva, their longtime left tackle, who is still on the open market. He's in his early 30s, so he may end up elsewhere on a pretty strong deal. But the cap-strapped Steelers at the moment have not addressed that position. Uh, is, he, is, he, is Tevin Jenkins, in your estimation, Mel, a, a day one, feel good about it, starter at left tackle? I think you could see possibly that. Uh, obviously, with Oklahoma State, you talk about what he was able to do there. You saw the ability to keep defensive ends at bay. You saw Osai got some coverage sacks in that game for Texas. But I think the skill set is there, the attitude, the approach, uh, the work ethic is there as well. He's got those strong, powerful hands. Uh, I think for the Steelers, he would be the type of lineman you could move over to that left tackle spot to take uh, the away of a spot. They obviously have a core four. They could move the left tackle, then leave Jenkins at right tackle. Zach Banner's in that equation as well. So they have an option there. They have a guy that could shift over to left tackle, put Jenkins in on the right side. I do think that they want an improvement over B.J. Finney. They brought him in. He could be the starting center coming in as a free agent, or they look maybe at Landon Dickerson from Alabama, who I really like. And he would have been, I don't know if you disagree or agree, I think Landon Dickerson would have been a guaranteed first had not been for the injury. And I still think Baltimore, Pittsburgh, and Kansas City uh, could be potential landing spots in round one. At worst, he's an early to mid two. And the good news for some of these teams, including Pittsburgh, if you don't get an offensive tackle in the first round, there's a lot of depth this year. I mean, we've talked a lot about Oregon's Panay Sewell. We've talked a lot about Rashawn Slater from, from Northwestern. You just mentioned that Jenkins there from Oklahoma State. And then after that, you've, you've got um, uh, Liam Eikenberg, who you had going late in the first round. You've got Jalen Mayfield, who's not quite developed yet, but has a lot of talent coming out of Michigan. You've got uh, Walker Little, who, who you like more than I do, Mel, but he's, you know, somewhere in that day two range. Mm-hmm. And, and um, Samuel, um, Samuel Cosme from mm-hmm. Texas had an unbelievable workout. And he, he, he never played to that elite level at Texas, but you just see the traits there with the speed and the mobility and the agility that he has. He can be developed into a starting left tackle. So you're talking about six, seven guys that you feel really good about. And then you get in the third round, and, and Dylan uh, Radons from, from North Dakota State had a great senior bowl week. James, James Hudson from Cincinnati, I think, is developing as a former defensive lineman to the offensive side. I think he's developing into a really good player. So uh, there could be 10, 12 offensive tackles that go in the top 100 or so picks. Yes, Spencer Brown, Northern Iowa will be another one, Todd. I kind of yep. thought a third, fourth round grade one. So you're right. I think that the depth along the offensive line, both at interior and those tackle positions, don't panic everybody. If your team doesn't take, like if the Bengals don't take Sewell, don't think, oh, my gosh, what are we doing taking Kyle Pitts? Kyle Pitts is a special player. Then you can address the offensive lineman in the coming round. It's, it seems like now, now, Mel, Bengals Twitter has sort of accepted that there aren't that many bad realistic options of pick five. If it's Pitts or Sewell or Slater, those are all slam dunk picks. Uh, speaking of teams that have had some slam dunk moves so far this offseason, I thought the 
Washington football team acquitted itself well in free agency by both signing Ryan Fitzpatrick, a quarterback, and also Curtis Samuel at a three-year deal worth about $34.5 million. Mel, they were one of those teams that we kept saying was sort of in no man's land with a quarterback, right? It's going to be really hard to land a player at 19. It's part of that tier of the first five QBs. How do those two signings open up the board for Washington in the first round? Yeah, instead of Kadarius Toney now, you can look to an offensive lineman. We always thought Kadarius Toney from Florida could maybe go there. Now you get Curtis Samuel, versatile kid, kind of like Toney. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, obviously, how many more years is Ryan Fitzpatrick going to play? They, at some point in time, have to think about a quarterback. Is Taylor Heineke? You look pretty good. Uh, let's face it, against the Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers, can they develop him? William Jackson, they added a cornerback as well. But I think now maybe a Christian Darasol, the left tackle from Virginia Tech, could also be a right tackle, uh, could make sense uh, at that point. So now you address, you got, now you got a veteran, older, 38-year-old quarterback in Fitzmagic there, uh, and now you address the offensive tackle spot to help him and get in better protection now that you brought in a guy like Curtis Samuel. What do you think about quarterback, Mel? What do you, I mean, if, if Mac Jones starts to fall a little bit, and you know you only, you know, Fitzpatrick's only going to be there you know, one, two years, likely, right? What do you think about them maybe moving up, get, getting ahead of New England at 15 or somewhere in that range to, to get a Mac Jones? It's, it's probably unrealistic from 19 to move up into the top four to six picks where you think the first four quarterbacks are going to mm-hmm. come off the board with Trevor Lawrence, uh, Trey Lance, Zach Wilson, and Justin Fields. but there could be potential there for them to say, you know what, let's go up and get our guy that we can develop and he can sit for a year and, and kind of learn from a guy who's been around the league for forever now. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have a problem with them going up to get Mac Jones. I wouldn't write off Heineke. You've seen this before, Todd, where guys that are – where Kurt Warner comes from out of Northern Iowa. When he took over Trent Green, nobody knew what Kurt Warner was. I mean, he was off the radar completely. Taylor Heineke really didn't look good against that. that he didn't have Devin White in that game. Uh, but he really gave the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense fits, and he's a, one of those spunky guys that, that finds a way. So I wouldn't count him out, but I'm with you. If match, I can't – you think New England's going to sit there and allow somebody to do that? If he starts dropping to 12, 13, for our, our New, is New England going to wait? Or is he gonna, are they going to make a move? Some say Lewis Riddick was talking today about maybe they could move up from 15. They're going to stand pat and let that happen. Uh, we'll see. It's going to be really interesting if Mac Jones is there around that 10, 11, 12 area what New England does and what Washington does. And how about Chicago? I mean, Chicago is another yeah. thing. Is they their long-term answer? Yeah, all three of those teams, I think, would, be, would love if Max Jones started to slide a little bit to at least give them a glimmer of hope to move up the board and select the Alabama signal caller. What more free agent move and what it might mean for the draft? Uh, Patrick Peterson signed with the Minnesota Vikings after an incredible run with the Arizona Cardinals. If you look at the Cardinals' depth chart right now at cornerback Mel, it's razor, razor thin. Byron Murphy, I want to say it's basically him and Robert Alford in terms of players that you really kind of know and trust right now. I mean, is there a team that has a more obvious need at cornerback than the Arizona Cardinals at the moment? There really isn't. I gave him J.C. Horn from South Carolina, Joe Hornson, who's a good-looking corner. But it's going to be interesting, and we'll go to this and field and tie again. Where does Caleb – the news came out about Caleb Farley as I'm finishing the mock. And I said, okay, do I leave him at 12 to the 49ers, or do yeah. I move him down to Arizona or down even a little further? And then I spoke to some teams that said, nah, they don't think it's going to affect his draft position. He'll be ready for camp. As they talked about, it should have been cleared up when he had back surgery in 2019. He did have an ACL in 2017 after he made that move from wide receiver to cornerback. So uh, here's a guy with that one really good year, opted out this year. 
Does Caleb Farley still remain at 12, or is he in the mix at 16 for Arizona? Uh, that would allow them to get a guy who, you know, coverage-wise, is outstanding. You like to see him tackle better, former wide receiver, you know, toughen up and tackle a little better, not be a one-dimensional cover guy, because tackling is important in this league. Uh, so we'll see. But I, I think where Farley goes now is going to be something we'll watch between now and, and draft day to see where he's projected to go. Yeah, Chris Morton was, was saying that, um, that it could be four months. So wow. they expect a full recovery. So if, if you get the guy back in four months, then, then you're yeah. good to go. Uh, but with J.C. Horn, watching his tape, I love his ability and press man coverage to take away a top receiver. I, you know, Sertan, is, it's interesting because Sertan brings everything to the table. He's, he's very good in coverage, but he's, I wouldn't say he's elite man-to-man. There are times when you're watching coverage where he, he's not able to track the guy. He, he makes a mistake. He's not able to turn and run as quickly as, as Farley can. He doesn't track the ball necessarily as good as Farley does when, the, when you know, it, out of phase and trying to get back into phase. Mm-hmm. Horn, is, if you're playing press man coverage one-on-one and you want a long corner who can take away that guy, reroute the receiver at the line of scrimmage, uh, Horn's going to be very interesting to a lot of teams. Uh, just for those that may have missed the Caleb Farley news, on Tuesday today, He's having a microdiscectomy with noted back specialist Robert Watkins. So that's going to put him out for his pro day on Friday, obviously. And then as Todd referenced, could be a recovery somewhere in the four months range. Uh, I believe the feeling from the agent for Caleb Farley, the excellent Drew Rosenhaus, is that he'll be ready to go uh, in time for training camp. If uh, Let me just get the tweet pulled up from uh, – here we go. This is just to clean this up. It is an outpatient procedure for Caleb Farley who will be back in Blattsburg and available to meet with teams on Friday. Rosenhaus, the agent, said Farley will be cleared for full activities before the start of training camp. So the hope remains that he won't be impacted too much in terms of his stock. And Todd, you just mentioned uh, Patrick Sertan, the second, who had his Alabama Pro Day part one today. Alabama's got so many guys and so many moving parts there. They're going to have a two-part Pro Day with the second part coming next week. And Sertan, phenomenal. Checked every box physically today, which is no surprise based off of what you saw during his Alabama career. Uh, And I know that we said we were going to get into the mock draft after the free agency moves, but we have kind of woven the two together. Now let's get specifically into Mel's mock draft 3.0, which came out on Tuesday morning. It does include trades. And we'll start here, Mel. I know that you have a philosophy, maybe even a rule that you prefer not to have a running back drafted in the first round, right, Mel? But exactly. you do have one that slides into the first round here. That is Najee Harris from Alabama going 30th overall to the Buffalo Bills. Is this a go because you think this is what the Bills will do, or is it because it's so late in the first round that you make an exception about that running back rule? Well, a mock draft is just trying to figure out what teams will do. It's not about what I would do. So, you know, I wouldn't take a running back in the first. I think there will be maybe one. I thought about Pittsburgh at 24, uh, maybe taking a running back. Uh, Tampa Bay, thought about the Buccaneers adding a running back at 32. Javante Williams, North Carolina, is right now uh, a guy you talk about the big three. It's, it's not only Najee Harris and Travis Etienne, uh, but Javante Williams from North Carolina had a remarkable year breaking tackle after tackle there with Michael Carter as a one-two punch for Mac Brown. Uh, so I gave Buffalo Najee Harris because they want that complete back who will help out Josh Allen in terms of giving them some semblance of balance. And then Devin Singletary can be that change of pace guy. You also have Zach Moss coming back from the injury. So now all of a sudden you've got three guys, and you've got one guy in Najee Harris who can be a catch, block, run, 
give you something that they really didn't have that they could count on week in and week out. Outside of that one New England game, uh, they really weren't able to consistently run the football. And sometimes they just completely forgot about the run, just completely went pass, pass, pass with Josh to try to run and throw. And uh, if they want Josh to stay healthy, they got to run the football with a running back, not just Josh Allen. And they just can't forget about the run. And Najee Harris would allow them to get, like I say, some semblance of balance back to that Buffalo Bills offense. Keep in mind, when Jim Kelly was there, they had Thurman Thomas. Josh Allen hasn't had that kind of guy. And maybe Najee Harris or Javante Williams could be that type of player at pick number 30. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza, better because it has to be. Uh, What do you make of the ability of Najee Harris who, by the way, great story from Adam Schefter, who noted that Najee was flying back to Alabama Pro Day, again, part one, and uh, because of lightning, his flight was canceled. So Najee said, you know what? I'll get in the car and drive nine hours to be there to support his teammates. Najee has excellent high football character. That much is for yeah, sure. Yeah, such a dude. I love um, that guy. Yeah, no doubt about it. He showed that at the Senior Bowl, showed it during his college career, showed it again uh, in this Pro Day example. What kind of heights do you think this Bills offense could reach with him as their feature back? Because while Devin Singletary and Zach Moss were nice college players, have had some moments, it doesn't feel like either one of them last year was a player the Bills were ready to commit to as their workhorse runner. Yeah, I mean, the difference, the difference with Harris is, and the difference from 2019 to 2020, first of all, is the, the fact that he is now attacking the line of scrimmage. And he's playing like a 235-pound back which he wasn't doing. He was dancing a lot earlier in his career and, and wasn't that aggressive runner that he developed into. The second difference is he can catch the football. And we saw that more. Steve Sarkeesian made him a featured aspect of the offense catching the ball. And he, he shows the ability to catch outside of his frame, to adjust to the ball. And when you have a quarterback that you want to run and the, the option of bringing in a power back who can accelerate and hit the hole and then also can catch the ball – off of, you know, some of the short game screens, RPOs, different things that you're doing. It kind of opens up the offense. Plus, I know they'll have depth at the running back position and rotate and try to keep him fresh. 
but you can keep him on every single down. And that's what we learn more about him. I think, I think he had close to twice as many catches this past year than he did in the first three years at Alabama. So he really showed that he can be part of an offense that is multiple like that. That's a good point, Todd, because I'll tell you, watching Buffalo last year, their running backs had their fair share of drops. I mean, yes. Singletary had a couple key drops, had a couple key catches, but he had some drops. And same thing with even at TJ Yeldon when he was out there. So a consistent pass-catching running back, which is what Harris became, and he can do a lot more than just these little swing passes and screen passes. He can get, get the ball, uh, give the ball to him down the field. I think he would be good. And also pass rushers. I'm going to throw a name out. We talked about pass rushers that you can get later. Patrick Johnson from Tulane caught my eye a little bit. I was watching Cameron Sample, and this guy was third in the nation in sacks. He's got a little bit of that quick twitch you talked about. He's got that effective spin move towards the inside. Patrick has some length. Patrick Johnson from Tulane, if you can get him in, the, in day three, which I think you will be a day three pick, you, you can't forget about pass rushers that you can pick up later in the draft. It's, it's trended that way in past years. You can find a, a little bit of a diamond in the rough or a little bit of a sleeper type even from the major college ranks. And Patrick Johnson from, was, from Tulane was a guy I think will be a nice day three pick as an edge pass rusher. That was a hell of a transition right there, Kuiper. Yeah, I love we it. We went from talking Najee Harris, Alabama star running back, to some third, fourth round. No, I was just thinking for Buffalo. Because I think teams that would, like, you think maybe they'll take. I actually, you're you're bouncing up and down on the chair. Your head spinning. I, I know where you were going. But I was thinking of Z. Came out left field. You got to admit. Could've we followed the logic. Player, your guy Todd, but field. I go get him. David. He's another one from Georgia. It's a good play. But as we talked about, I, I was frustrated because I couldn't give 45 guys the 32 team. Right. It's always a hard exercise. That much is for sure. Let's move to a team. As I mentioned, sometimes free agency allows a team to fill a void, right? Uh, we talked about the Washington football team, at least landing a quarterback for one year. Sometimes free agency creates voids as well as the Titans lost a pair of pass catchers. Jonu Smith, their tight end, goes to New England. Corey Davis, their wide receiver, goes to New York. Uh, Mel, all of a sudden they kind of have a need at wide receiver. And at number nine, uh, it's not number 19, excuse me. I've got the draft order a little bit mixed 22. up here. 22, you now have them with Kadarius Tony, the wide receiver from Florida. It actually kind of reminds you guys, as you mentioned, of Curtis Samuel a little bit earlier on in the show. Uh, could he be the number two opposite of A.J. Brown that could help this passing game stay where it has been for the past couple of years? Exciting player. And I think for Tennessee, and I thought Chicago could be somebody could look at him. What with the offensive lineman, Barrett Tucker from USC, Washington. But as you said, Curtis Samuel ended up signing there. Uh, so I think for Tennessee, yeah, it would be a guy that is versatile. You talk about the way the game is played today. It suits a guy like Kadarius Toney. Uh, there are tight ends, and then we can talk about tight end position and what you can do. Like you mentioned, John U. Smith moving on uh, in free agency. I think that's something where you look at and say, okay, who else? And they did add Josh Reynolds as well, wide receiver coming in like from that, the Rams yeah. in free agency. So now you got Josh Reynolds, Kadarius Tony, AJ Brown. I'll tell you, Todd, we talked about day three players. A guy I like was Zach Davidson. He's a smaller college kid. You know, he's off the radar, but the way he caught the ball, the way he showed speed to stretch the, the deep middle, the way he could run after the catch, uh, there's a kind of kid in like the fifth, sixth round I would jump at. Uh, so I think you can find some tight ends if you're if you you really uh, you know want to get a little creative and and uh, really take a chance on a player that could be better than advertised. I think there's a kid in the fifth sixth round could be a surprise for a team like that that's looking for another option at the tight end position. Yeah, there's such a drop off at tight end though, Mel. Yeah. I mean you got Kyle Pitts who's a one in a, you know, a decade type talent coming out from Florida, but then after that, you know Fryermuth, the Pat Fryermuth from Penn State is a good player, but he's He's a second rounder. He's, he's complete, but he's not explosive. He's not a difference maker. Uh, 
Brevin Jordan had a really good year. He's undersized. It's more of just a, kind of a bulked up receiver that you move out in the slot and try to create some mismatches. Again, a good player, but a day two prospect. Hunter Long from BC is a good player, but he, he doesn't have that explosive speed. So you're not going to get this huge difference maker after Kyle Pitts, and Pitts is going to go in the top 10, certainly, maybe even in the top five as you had him going to Cincinnati in, in this mock draft. But receiver's different. So you've got um, – every year it seems like we talk about this could be a record-setting receiver group. But, I mean, look at this group. Jamar Chase is, is exceptional, physically the most talented guy in the class. Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle, both from Alabama. Kadarius Toney you have going in the first round. Terrace Marshall from, Louis, uh, from LSU. Elijah Moore who's a, a speedster and a playmaker from Ole Miss. Rashad Bateman, who reminds me a lot of Juju Smith-Schuster, who we talked about earlier, is going to run in the 4-5 range, and, and everyone's going to be worried about his speed. But the guy is balanced. He's tough. He's physical. He's a great route runner, and he catches in traffic coming out of Minnesota. Tutu Atwell, you mentioned, in the first round as well from Louisville, an explosive player. Rondale Moore from Purdue. Everyone's kind of overlooking. He's another slot guy who can create. Tylen Wallace from Oklahoma State. Nico Collins from Michigan. I mean, there are so many guys I could go on and on and on. If you don't get a guy in the first round or even the second round, you still can get a player who can come in and contribute as a number two or number three receiver. I think 36 receivers. Yeah, 36 receivers that could go, I think, in the first five rounds very easily or be worthy of going in the first four and a half to five rounds. And uh, to, you know, to the point about why Rashad Bateman's an interesting guy, Todd. You watch him in 2019. He wowed you. I mean, he looked like a, going into this year, I thought he could be a top 10, top 15 pick. And then this year, he was disappointing. Now, he was not going to play. Remember, he had asthma. He was not going to play because of COVID. And then he ended up playing. And, you know, you didn't see. He changed his number, and it just wasn't the same player. He was dropping balls. He was he got a little alligator arms here and there. And he just not didn't show the same explosiveness, even though you say he's not that fast, but he was quick out of his cuts in 2019. Yep. He plays down the field. He plays after the catch with his, his ability. I think Rashad Bateman, if you can get him in the second round, he can revert back to that great form he showed in 2019. You get one of the steals of the draft at wide receiver. I want to get back to the uh, to the mock in just a moment, but uh, Todd mentioned a guy in Rondale Moore who obviously had his Purdue pro day recently, and he was phenomenal. He ran an unofficial forty that was you know either high four twos or, or low four threes. The guy can blaze. Jumped forty two and a half inches. He posted a video of himself bench pressing. I want to say it was twenty four reps, obviously at two twenty five. Uh, but the measurement that a lot of people are also talking about today is the fact that he was five foot seven inches and zero eighths of an inch. So he's five, seven flat. Uh, this comes a day after Devonte Smith noted that he weighs 170 pounds. Obviously all of the talk about Devonte Smith's measurables are going to center around his 40, which he may never run during the pre-draft process and his weight, which he's skinny, but he also crushes it. So I want to ask you guys sort of philosophically um, how much, value you put into measurements and how they fit into the picture of evaluation because they obviously have some importance if not we wouldn't bother with them mel but at the same time they can't be the only determinant of a player's value so what's that balance like for you it's a hard balance to strike and i think you look at short not small that would be rondale moore when you saw him as a freshman and then those measurables were already known feel coming out of high school that he was going to be a freak in terms of his athleticism, his speed, and he was brilliant as a freshman. 
Then as a sophomore, you could tell, bad, you know, you weren't as wowed over, put it that way. Maybe the expectations were too high. He didn't look quite as explosive. Uh, but, you know, you say, okay, at Purdue was the quarterback and was everything in place there. They kind of moved everybody around here and there uh, to get the right quarterback on the field. So I look at Ron Dale Moore as probably a second-round pick who's going to play a long time in this league. As a slot guy, we see how valuable slot receivers are. Bill Poling used to scream about, hey, don't, don't lower slot receivers and say they don't have value. They do have great value, and they are as important as anybody on the field. So for Rondale Moore, I think he's a second-round pick. Todd mentioned Elijah Moore, who I've loved all along. Todd's trying to steal him from me. Uh, he's mentioned Jamie Davis. <laughs> as a guy. So, uh, you know, I had Elijah Moore was my guy from the echo. I love Elijah Moore, but I do think – Yeah, but you didn't put him in your first round. I didn't. I didn't. I, I, I went with Tutu Atwell instead of Elijah Moore. Maybe that's a mistake. I, I could have gone with either one, but I love, I'm with you. I love Elijah Moore. And I think that Kay Johnson from South Dakota State's another kid I really liked all year. I mentioned the Davidson kid, the tight end. Yeah. This draft for receivers and a couple, you have, you have to find out. Hey, the Bates kid at Boise State, I like Todd from the senior ball and like what he did at Boise this year as well. I think there's a couple tight ends that are going to surprise. Now, there, there are some guys that are a little. Yeah, okay, not great, but a wide receiver, this group is loaded. I mean, we didn't mention Josh Palmer, Diami Brown from North Carolina, Palmer from Tennessee, Shy Smith, South Carolina. We can go on forever. You mentioned in 36 yeah. wide receivers, which we won't do. But believe me, offensive line and wide receiver and corner. We didn't mention – I love Elijah Moulton as a slot corner. Love Asante Samuel Jr. from Florida State. These are kind of guys at corner are going to get overshadowed. Maybe a guy like – I think maybe a little overrated in Tyson Campbell from Georgia or an Eric Stokes from Georgia may go ahead of Elijah Molden or Asante Samuel. And you look three, four years down the road, and there's Molden playing really good football and Asante Samuel Jr. doing a real good job. See what happens when you pull the string on Kuiper? He's, I mean, I, he, he just had like five different positions and 70 different players he ripped off. I love it. I learned uh, the hard way. To answer your question, which wasn't answered, I think a big part for me with the durability stuff and the injuries – is when you're looking at smaller players, and this is – it's unique because we have a couple guys now at one's 5'7", Devontae Smith is 170 pounds, uh, Tutu Atwell, I don't know if his pro day's done yet or not, but I, I'm hoping for his sake that he gets, gets into that 170-pound range because I was told he played at like the high 160s. But he's, he's quick – he has a rare combination of quickness and speed, and he, he, he'll go down the field and, and track the ball in addition to what he can do after the catch. But to answer your question, I track durability when it comes to those guys. And Devontae Smith has been durable. I know he had the finger injury in the national championship. It's not, not a big deal. But have you been able to stay healthy and protect yourself? And Devontae Smith in the SEC playing against that competition, as many games as they played, you know, it's 15 games or so each year because they're getting to the national championship game most years. He's been able to show that he can stay on the field. Whereas Rondell Moore has had some durability issues in the past. And so you, you worry a little bit more about that when it comes to projecting the next level and staying healthy. Because there is a, a correlation, I think, not always, but there is, tends to be a correlation between staying healthy in college and then your NFL career. Yeah, but to answer your question, Field, about that, that whole thing, just to answer the question about that and finish it up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Always watch the last word. You go to the Hollywood Brown. What was Hollywood Brown coming out of Oklahoma? Like 165, right? Yeah, yeah. you think about with Cole Beasley coming out of SMU, heck of a slot receiver in the NFL, what he's been able to do in Dallas and now certainly being a key component for Josh Allen. So I do think the way the game has changed has allowed some of these guys to have a more of a chance to hold up physically. Uh, bottom line is you want football players more so than workout guys. And I, I'll tell you a guy, I'll throw a name out there. 
Here we go. Okay. Who was a speed merchant out of a major conference, had a really good uh, rookie, uh, fresh, freshman year when he had a quarterback in Jarrett Stidham who got him the ball. And he Is he from like, Florida oh, State? Oh, no, no. Who's now, Anthony it? Schwartz. Anthony Schwartz is a receiver at Auburn who's going to run the four twos. He's going to be one of the faster receivers in this draft. He had some production. Now, his average per catch kept dropping because it was a quarterback situation that wasn't exactly the greatest in college football with Bo Nix. He was a decent college quarterback, but he's not throwing the ball like Jared Stidham did. So when you look at Anthony Schwartz from Auburn, I'm going to be anxious to see come late April, does he go as a maybe a reach in the late first, early second, or does he go in the mid the late second or early third? Because there's a kid who can flat out fly, and even as a true freshman, was averaging like 17 yards a catch and made a lot of plays. And when you're running the four twos and you're not 160 pounds uh, and you're not yeah. the five nine, uh, you're going to get some attention. Hi, this is ESPN's Mike Greenberg, and ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sports book of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today, and new users get $100 in bonus bets for making any sports book bet. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. No doubt about it. It's one way to uh, introduce yourself to the scouting world with speed to burn. Uh, so last one, going back to the mock draft, as you guys have both mentioned, the strength of this wide receiver class. And we mentioned Terrace Marshall Jr. from LSU earlier. Uh, so he ends up in your mock draft, Mel, going to the Baltimore Ravens. Is that the third straight time you've had the Baltimore Ravens take in Terrace Marshall Jr.? Yeah, and I believe Todd copied me on his last mock one, that one, but that's okay. Wow. Um, so, ooh, okay. That's so okay. That, okay. So that means yeah, it's either yeah, definitely yeah, happening or definitely not happening. I'll overlook that. But no, yeah. the, the, re, the rationale here is <laughs> McShay's faces just make me laugh. <laughs> I, I know what's going on, and I see the face. So I'm okay. But uh, after 40 years of dealing with Todd, but as far as, um, as the Ravens <laughs> draft the receiver, because you're not necessarily going to get one in free agency, Kenny Galladay. Moves on to the Giants. Juju Smith-Schuster goes over to Pittsburgh because this is a run-oriented team with Lamar Jackson. They're not going to change who they are, and that's what they are. They're run first, pass second. So now, but if you draft receivers like they did with Hollywood Brown, drafted Devin DuVernay, they drafted James Prochet last year. They hope those two young kids step up as as second-year guys. Then you bring in a bigger target like Terrace Marshall Jr., who was down there with Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase putting it up. Now you're forcing those. Hey, you draft them, they're yours. You don't have to say, I got to sell them. I got to try to recruit them like they're trying to do with Juju Smith-Schuster, Lee Pittsburgh, or Kenny Galladay. Now you draft a bigger receiver to help out and hope that Miles Boykin can improve. They have not had a lot of success with receivers in Baltimore. The veterans coming in have been good. But that was with Joe Flacco when you got Steve Smith and you got an Anquan Bolden and guys like that. Now with Lamar, it's tough to sell a free agent receiver to come. So now you got to draft them. And that's why I think Terrace Marshall Jr. makes sense for Baltimore in the late first round. 
Uh, so uh, Todd, not as many people know about him, obviously, because he is in some people's estimation, the other LSU wide receiver, what kind of player would the Baltimore Ravens be getting in Terrace Marshall Jr.? He's a bigger physical receiver. He's a guy who can go up and make contested catches and, and he's a, a solid route runner. He's not great. He's not overly explosive, but he, he has speed to get vertical, but in and out of breaks is where he kind of struggles. And I, Baltimore, when you've got a quarterback like Lamar, I think you really want to focus on getting guys that are great after the catch. You know, like a Tutu Atwell would have made sense there, in my opinion. Elijah Moore, we talked about. Yeah, but they can't have enough of those guys, Mel. With the RPO stuff and the short game and the quick throws, the quick game that they have, I think that they would go for another guy that can create after the catch, but Marshall certainly wouldn't, wouldn't be a bad idea. I mean, I, with his vertical speed and then his frame, that's kind of what you, you like about him when you start to talk about him as a late first, early second round pick. I like I got to try to talk Todd into something he had in his mock 3.0. So it's like, okay. I'm just saying, I'm just spitballing just here. Just spitballing here, Mel. Well, one way or another, it does seem like the Ravens are intent on upgrading their wide receiver core. Uh, if memory is correct, and it hasn't been that long, so I should still remember this. They are going to have a visit with Sammy Watkins, the Chiefs, Rams, and Bills wide receiver in previous stops. Right, let me ask you guys a question. No, no, I'm going to jump in first, Mel. Oh, well, here we go. A couple, here's a couple things for you, Field. <laughs> I'm so ready. A couple, before we could end this podcast, first of all, Jamin Davis, if you if you remember back a few weeks yes. ago, Mel didn't even know that Jamin Davis played oh, football. Or I love it. Yeah. Coming out of Kentucky, the linebacker. Right I put him at 32 in my last mock, and that's Way about where much. he should go, Way late first, early second. And Mel, the, the classic overcompensation Kuiper, puts him at 17 in this mock. He's just trying to show – Well, and he's, he'll be rocking at the, at the desk that first night or the second night and say, oh, I had him at 17 back in – you know, a month a month ago, and and I had him higher than McShay, and so on and so forth. It's nonsense. This is what he does. He takes a player that, that I, I introduce him to, and then he puts him higher so that he can say he had him higher. <laughs> the other thing is Aziz Ojolari. I'm surprised, Mel. And this is being more serious now. Aziz Ojolari, the Georgia edge rusher. Why didn't you have him in the first round? I think he's he's arguably the best, the most talented, has the highest upside in terms of pass rushing in the NFL. I almost did, Todd. As I said, I had 45 guys. He was, I almost had him to Buffalo instead of Najee Harris. Could have gone to that route. Uh, he could have gone for a pass rusher with the Cleveland Browns off the edge and given him there, gave him Zayvon Collins. Uh, you know, could have looked at Baltimore, who wants an edge guy as well, gave him Terrace Marshall. I'm with you. I think Aziz Ojolari is a late first-round possibility. But the guys I put – and let me go to flip it because I agree, he is a late first-rounder. Of all the guys in field, look at it. Of the first-round guys in Mach 3.0, who presents the best value for where they would have been picked if this mock goes according to the way I have it? I'll give you my guy, and then you guys can think about it for a minute. The guy I think presents the best value is Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa, linebacker Notre Dame. Yeah. I was surprised you had him that low. Yeah. If he was down there, I think that would present the best value if he were there. I think Rashawn Slater's another one, the Northwestern offensive tackle who can kick inside the guard, mm-hmm. getting him at 13, when I don't think there's a big difference between he and Panay Sewell, who you had going – Nine. Uh, number nine. nine, who also where, will where, be a great value there, Slater, right? Where did you have Slater in Mach 3.0, Todd? I don't know, Mel. I don't, I don't remember. You went into the Chargers at pick number 13, pal. Yeah, too low. 
<laughs> Too low. Uh, oh, but, but I copy your mocks, right? Uh, by the way, I would think, yeah, I would think that uh, Penny Sewell at number nine would probably be, or Christian Bearmore from going 32 to Alabama. And I understand the defensive tackle, you know, you got to be a guy that can play, you know, 65, 70% of the snaps to probably be worth the first round investment. But with the way that they play down there and such good defensive linemen around him, he might be able to be a dominant force in Tampa right away, especially if he takes over if Dominican Sue does not return. But Penny Sewell at nine feels like, I think, in a lot of people's minds, Mel. That would be a steal if Minnesota were to execute that trade. Okay. I think Great. all these guys, all these defensive guys, are going to wind up being or should be value picks. That's fair. Where you yeah. get them? I mean, when you got Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson coming off the board, Justin Fields, and Trey Lance, four quarterbacks. You got Kyle Pitts, and then uh, three wide receivers. So that's the first eight picks in this draft. And then you're talking about a couple couple offensive linemen, but you get down to like Micah Parsons at fourteen and J.C. Horn at 16, and then some of the other defensive ends, like uh, Jalen Phillips we talked about at 18. I mean, and Owusu Koromoa, to me, is probably the biggest value, if you will, of all of these guys. There's just going to be a lot of defensive guys pushed down because eight or nine of the top 12 or 13 picks are going to be for quarterbacks, receivers, tight ends, and offensive linemen. It certainly is a very offensive-heavy draft at the top. Mel's mock. 3.0 is now available on ESPN.com. And it's all we got for today. I think, did you guys tape a special? You guys taped a special, right? There's an ESPN Plus special. Check that out. One more thing for you, Phil. I'm going to give you a What do you got? Of course. One little fun fact. One little fun fact for you, okay? I was doing a little check because I always have my ages of all the quarterbacks here, okay? Okay. This is my age sheet of, of quarterbacks. And I was looking and I saw Kyle Trask. Okay, Kyle Trask is 23 right now. Turned 23 on March 6th. Yep. Sam Darnold is still 23. Amazing. Sam yeah. Darnold is still the same age as a player going to be drafted in this draft. Sam Darnold right now is 23. Turns 24 on June 5th. So here's, I, I if I'm the Jackson, I'll finish it with this. I'm keeping Sam, and I'm either taking Kyle Pitts at two, or I'm trading out of there if I got that opportunity. I'm not drafting Zach Wilson and trading Sam Darnold. That's me. Uh, and I like to say he's 23 years of age, same age as, as Kyle Trask, and he's been through the rigors, and he's dealt with all this negativity, and here he is. And I, I, if he were – I was asked this question, you feel. And I'll, go, and I'll pose it to you, Todd, as we go. If right. Sam Darnold were in this draft, where would he go? I would have him too because I have a, a higher, a slightly higher grade. He'll be the second pick uh, in the draft to the New York Jets. So why the heck are you trading? But that's is that knowing what we know right now for the first three years of his career? Yeah, put him in there right now. I think he'd be lower than that personally. I think it'd have to be. I would think it, Zach Wilson and sort of take your pick between. Sometimes it's the devil you don't know versus the devil you there's, do know, right? Yeah, I mean, there's there's two there's two things. It's the turnovers that's frustrating the Jets, and then financially are we able because we have all these picks nine picks in the first three rounds of the next two drafts four first rounders are we able are we able to have the money available because it's going to be so much less expensive to have a a rookie quarterback come in than what you're going to have to pay Darnold moving forward so again it comes down to uh, is it close and then also Joe Douglas the GM is, is going to have to wait kind of see what kind of offers he's going to get either for the number two pick or for Sam Darnold, which one is greater? You know, so there's, that's the third aspect of it as well. So turnovers, money, and then what's the compensation to either to move out of number two and keep Darnold or to stay at two 
and take Zach Wilson and move Darnold for, for a trade. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it really is the conversation of the offseason in some ways, right? As we keep saying, the draft begins at pick two, and whether the Jets, if they are going to trade Sam Darnold, whether that happens in advance of the draft or maybe even during the draft or even after they make their pick, at number two remains to be seen. I got one more thing, Phil. I love it. Oh, Keep going. Geez. We got nothing but time. Just kidding. Ah, oh, yeah, man. Well, well done by you. Uh, we're back next week. Same time, same place. In the meantime, go check out Mel's Mock Draft 3.0 and all of Todd's latest content. Thanks, as always, Happy to our birthday, intrepid. Happy birthday, Todd, Todd, Todd. Happy birthday, Todd, you, Todd, Todd. And thanks, yeah. as always, to Daniel and David, our intrepid producers. Please rate, review, and subscribe. We'll talk to you guys next week. Mel and Todd, we'll see you then.